Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. If your day job isn't nearly as satisfying as the hours you spend reading or listening to Civil War history, you may sometimes wish you had been a history professor. It's a life of glamour, true, but it's not the only way to make a living in the practice of history. Our guest tonight has owned a historical consulting business, served as a ranger historian for the National Park Service at Richmond National Battlefield Park, taught history in the classroom, and now is the assistant director of the Civil War Institute at Gettysburg College. We'll learn more about the Institute and about her many Civil War-related careers from Dr. Ashley Whitehead-Lusky, tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Bullock. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you tonight from the Civil War Talk Radio World Headquarters Annex on Oxford Road, as seems to be the case more often than not with the change in time this past week, it's even harder to motivate oneself back to the office at this hour. Uh, So broadcasting from home, the big news here at at the Annex this week is the congratulations we are sending out to our older daughter, Caroline, who this past week was uh, admitted, uh, invited to uh, attend the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill Medical School. She has been applying, uh, taking classes for the past year, getting a 
post-baccalaureate certificate, spent several years before that, uh, spent a year before that working in a doctor's office, uh, was at EMT for a couple of years after college, all these things leading toward her decision to pursue a medical career. And finally, after a uh, really grueling and uh, grinding application process, got an acceptance uh, yesterday to her first choice school. So we are as thrilled as could be. I'm happy to say that her mother and I did not uh, use our celebrity power or our bribe money to convince any admissions departments on Caroline's behalf, nor did we pretend that she is an athlete in a sport that she doesn't actually play. She did it all on her own, and we could not be more proud. Uh, plus the uh, pleasure of looking forward to our golden years here uh, and being able to say, oh, this hurts, and just call up our daughter and say, you know, oh, this hurts now. Now it's this. And she'll say, well, don't do that. And that'll take care of things. So we're very happy, very proud about that. It's a, a huge relief that she is going to be able to pursue her dream. Tangentially connected to that, I received an interesting essay and email from an old friend this past week uh, about imposter syndrome, about the feeling that you don't really deserve to be where you are uh, doing what you're doing. Uh, one sees that a lot in academia. You compete to be best in your class then best in your graduate school class and then compete for a few jobs and if you get one there's a sense well, how did I get here not everybody else do I really deserve this I'd, not everybody has it I have to say having uh, gotten a graduate degree from Harvard University I'm, I'm not sure you know that I may not have mentioned it in the last 10 minutes uh, that kind of cures you of the imposter syndrome because even though deep down I knew I was not smart enough or, or you know, brilliant enough to, to merit a, a degree from that institution, having fooled them and gotten one, I now feel like I can fool anybody. And so, so I don't feel like an imposter, or rather I feel like a very successful imposter. And I can, I can, I can pretend to be almost anything if I can do that. But I do see a lot of it among colleagues in academia, and I wonder, is that more prevalent in, in higher education, or, or or do you feel the same way? Does everybody at some point think, well, how did I get here? Do I, do I really belong here? I don't know. Uh, speaking of academia, one of the great things about it is spring break, which now is over, but it was a good week to uh, be away from classes and do some work around the house. Uh, I spent an interesting hour uh, yesterday, Monday, or this early this week, Monday, at the end of the break, uh, appearing on a video podcast called Breaking Free with Marilyn Shannon. I haven't watched it yet. I, don't, I assume it's been posted by now. I don't know uh, for a fact. I haven't watched it. Don't know if I'm going to. But if anyone does watch it, uh, feel free to let me know uh, how my hair looks or anything else uh, or how much hair I have left, actually. Uh, and uh, if you have any questions about Abraham Lincoln that I didn't answer there, feel free always to send them in here. One of the other things I learned over spring break is that if you change your profile picture on Facebook, you get more attention for that than, say, publishing a major article. Uh, everybody suddenly begins to contact you. I, I put a, I got rid of the old picture I had that had been there for 10 plus years, did not resemble me in the least anymore. Put up a more recent one, and 
heard from people I had not heard from in in decades. It was it was nice. With advancing age comes lapses in memory, and I forgot during our last show with Elizabeth Leonard to ask about her next book. We talked a little bit after the show, and uh, it turns out she's working on a biography of Benjamin Butler. There needs to be a, a new good biography of Butler. So five years from now, she'll be back on the show. Her book will be done, and we'll, we'll talk about that. I promised I'd mention that to you today. We have other books to talk about in the weeks ahead. Next week uh, on March 20th of 2019, we'll be talking with Shauna Devine, author of a book called Learning from the Wounded about Civil War medicine. The following week, Jason Phillips will be returning to the show with his book about the Civil War before it happened, the looming Civil War, the impressions people had of what might happen. At least I assume that's the the topic of the book. I look forward to reading it. On April 3rd, Ryan Quint will be here to talk about the Battle of Monocacy, a much underwritten about battle and a very interesting, uh, well-preserved pocket of land uh, in in southern Maryland that's worth, well, I guess it's mid-Maryland, worth seeing north of the Potomac. Uh, Check it out if you're ever in that area and, and read the book. On April 10th, Susanna Earle returns to the show This time she'll be talking about Hood's Texas Brigade, her latest work. On the 17th of April, Michael Schaefer, another, gosh, everybody's returning to the show. He's coming back. Uh, A memoir called, not of himself, but of a a Virginia veteran, In Memory of Self and Comrades. And on the 24th, once again, returning to the show, Bradley Godfrey, with a slender but interesting volume about Point Lookout, uh, a federal prison camp that doesn't get as much notoriety as some of the others in the North, certainly not as much as Andersonville. So we'll hear from him about that. Coming up this weekend, if you are downloading this sometime in twenty mid-2019, it's too late, but on March 16th, 2019, at the Seminary Ridge Historical Museum in Gettysburg, there is the uh, Symposium Preacher Soldiers War. Go to their website, sign up for that. And, of course, go to the Civil War Institute this summer. We'll talk about that all night tonight. And this hallowed ground, the tour uh, sponsored by Stephen Amber's Historical Tours that I will be leading in May, I'm happy to say, uh, for those of us who are going, uh, but uh, alas for the the others, it's sold out, wait list only. Uh, So if you missed it this time, Get ahead of the curve and, and sign up for next year's, and, and we'll do that. Follow all of Civil War Talk Radio's events on the Facebook page or the impedimentsofwar.org website, maintained by Mark Gaffney. Thanks, Mark, for all he does. And let's talk to our guest. Dr. Ashley Whitehead Lusky is the assistant director of the Gettysburg uh, College Civil War Institute. Uh, has done many other things, as I hinted at in the introduction, we'll talk about those. In the interest of transparency, I will tell you I was a guest last year at the Institute and hope to be again this year, and will be on the faculty in 2020, as I was some, some 10 or 12 years ago. So I have some connection to the, the institution and to the Institute as a participant, but I don't make any money off it, so I think we're above board there. Uh, Ashley, welcome to the show. Hi, Jerry. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. 
Well, it, it's uh, an exciting time in the world of the Civil War Institute. Every year, it seems uh, uh, you and the director, Peter Carmichael, are adding new things. I wonder if we could start talking uh, about the, the CWI, though, at, at the back end of, of where and how this started. Uh, you weren't there when it started, but as a historian, I, I'm guessing you, you have some knowledge of its background. Sure, sure. So, yes, uh, the Civil War Institute uh, began long before. Um, I think I was even born. It began before I was born, so it's been around for for quite some time. Um, And I think it's maybe 35 years or so old. It's somewhere in the mid-30s. But it was begun um, under the direction of Gabor Bort, um, who led the Institute for a very long time um, prior to Pete Carmichael's arrival um, just uh, six, six or seven years ago. Um, so yes, it was under his his hands for quite some time, and the the genesis of it um, was basically to bring in these well renowned um, scholars of the Civil War era to talk about a wide range of Civil War topics: uh, military history, political history, social history, and to make that history accessible to the general public. So the conference has been attracting just a, a very wide range of individuals from all different backgrounds. Um, some of them consider, consider themselves very much Civil War amateurs. Um, some of them consider themselves buffs. Some of them are, in fact, Civil War scholars and historians themselves. Uh, but they've been coming to Gettysburg every summer uh, for the past 35 or so years uh, to hear lectures and receive battlefield tours uh, from some of the, the top names in the field. So it's a longstanding institution. It's unique in some ways in that, as as you say, the people who attend it are not all academics themselves. Uh, You and I go to professional conferences and there's somebody giving a paper and there are as many people sitting on the stage in the panel uh, uh, giving their their talks as there are in the audience sometimes, you know, three up here and three down there. And uh, it's the, the topics are esoteric and the discussions are, are uh, well, well, you've been there. You know what they're like. Um, <laughs> so uh, the Civil War Institute is nothing like that. Uh, right. It, it's much larger right, yes. for one thing. It is. It is. It certainly is larger. Usually we attract between 250 and 300 participants um, each summer, And, yes, we try to make it um, not nearly as kind of stiff and formal as a traditional academic conference, uh, but much more engaging, much more hands-on, so that people can get up, you know, close and personal with our speakers, have small group discussions over meals with them um, about topics of interest. We feature a a special session called a dine-in discussion, um, where we have various faculty lead a small group discussion about a set of primary sources um, over the course of a meal, it takes about an hour and 15 minutes. So some attendees get to participate in those. Um, we do other kind of breakout sessions that are much smaller than the lectures that are given in the big lecture hall. We try to stress with most of our presenters um, that they not read verbatim uh, from a standard you know, academic paper, but that they make that talk more like a classroom discussion. And we definitely try to allow for for question and answer time, too, uh, during that time period. But another big, very popular feature of the conference is the battlefield tours. 
Um, and this year, uh, like last year, we are doing actually battlefield tours on three different days of the conference. Um, so last year, we introduced the Saturday evening Gettysburg battlefield tours, uh, where various guides take people around to different parts of the battlefield. It's a different time of day. It's certainly a lot cooler, um, which is nicer, you know, to be out roaming the battlefield. Um, but those tours focus on more, you know, kind of more specific aspects of the fighting. Sometimes those tours focus on civilian experiences. Um, we have one tour this year going to the Shriver House uh, in Gettysburg to talk about the Confederate Sharpshooter's Nest um, and the civilian experience of the Shriver family. Um, so that's one component is the Saturday evening tours. And then on mm-hmm. Monday... Let oh, me sorry? step in, and, and we're going to take a quick break uh, because yeah. we're we're at our break time, and talk more sure. about those. I, I want to come back to the Shriver tour in just a moment when we return, which we'll do in just a few moments. We're talking tonight with Dr. Ashley Whitehead Lusky, Assistant Director of the Civil War Institute at Gettysburg College. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. <laughs> Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice America Variety Channel. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. 
And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm talking tonight with Dr. Ashley Whitehead-Lusky, who is the Assistant Director of the Civil War Institute at Gettysburg College. We were talking about the programming of the Institute. It's an annual event each summer, uh, some five days on the campus of Gettysburg College, lectures by uh, authors, researchers, professors, writers, people interested in the Civil War. Also tours of not just Gettysburg, but other Civil War sites uh, within driving distance. And Ashley, you were starting to tell us about uh, some of the tours. You mentioned the Gettysburg Evening Tour, which is an experience most people don't get, or the Shriver House uh, in town. Uh, What other tours uh, do we have lined up? So we have on Monday of the conference, as in years past, we'll be spending the entire day uh, from 8 a.m. until 5 p.m. or so out um, on different battlefields. There are a couple of tours that are doing, uh, one is a staff ride of Gettysburg with Carol Reardon. We have another tour that is an introductory tour of Gettysburg, but all of the other bus tours go outside of Gettysburg that day. Uh, So this year we're featuring a tour following Stonewall Jackson at Fredericksburg and Chancellorsville with Mm. Greg Mertz, uh, who is a NPS ranger down there. We also have a tour with former NPS historian Dennis Fry that is going Mm -hmm. to kind of north-central Virginia to take a look at um, Mosby country uh, in Loudoun County, Leesburg area, um, that kind of thing. Um, And so these tours are going far and wide. We have a tour that's going to Antietam as well. Uh, We usually try to do one of those. Um, That tour is going to be led actually by several different tour guides, including Pete Carmichael himself, um, but also Jim Brumall from Shepherd University and Keith Bohannon uh, from University of West Georgia. And they are going to be looking at Antietam through the different lenses of soldier letters, the different soldiers Hmm. who fought there uh, and left uh, revealing letters about their experience. But that tour also just took on a new twist um, just in the last couple of weeks where they're going to be getting also a special tour from Stephen Potter, who is a former archaeologist with the National Park Service. He's going to be talking about archaeological finds at Antietam and how that has kind of enriched our understanding of the battle. And also a special tour of the Pry House uh, Medical Museum mm. uh, to talk about uh, medicine and field hospitals at Antietam. So that is a, a big day um, for the CWI conference. It gives attendees the opportunity to get beyond Gettysburg and uh, to explore some of their other interests um, outside Gettysburg itself. And then on Tuesday, we have another half day of tours. Um, Most of those tours are focused, again, on small portions of the Gettysburg battlefield, following specific units, looking at specific engagements. But we do have one tour uh, that is leaving Gettysburg that morning, and they are headed up to the National Civil War Museum uh, up in Harrisburg to get a behind-the-scenes tour uh, of the artifacts at the museum uh, with Wayne Moss. So I think that one is going to be really special uh, for many of our attendees this year. That that does sound great. Uh, People listening are, at this point, all reaching for their calendars saying what how can i get time <laughs> off of work uh, it is it are there spaces available still for this year's uh, institute yes there are still spaces um there are usually still spaces right up through the early part of june um when we have to make our 
give our final numbers to our different vendors. Uh, some of the bus tours are getting a little tight right now, um, especially uh, the tour up to Harrisburg as well as one of the other Gettysburg tours. Uh, we have a staff ride of Little Round Top um, on Saturday mm-hmm. evening, which is proving quite popular. Um, but other than that, um, all the tours are, are open still. You people who register now are guaranteed a tour um, for each day of the conference. It might not be their top choice tour necessarily, but they will definitely get one of their top choice tours um, as well as a spot within the conference itself. So if where do who do people contact to, to sign up if they wanted to do this? So the best way actually to register is to go to our website, um, which you can do a quick Google search for it. Unfortunately, the college went through a massive website revision um, in early January and redid our URLs, um, which make it them a little bit more difficult to give out, um, you know, audibly. Uh, but if you just do a Google search for Civil War Institute, you will come up to our main page, head to the conference page. You can check out our full program there, including descriptions of all the tours and the dine-ins. Um, and you can actually do the full registration process online. Uh, One of the things that I would just encourage people to do is to check out the various discounts that we are offering um, to different groups, different partnering institutions. We're offering a wide range of discounts, and if you qualify for one of those discounts, um, do give us a call, and our number is on the website, of course, and we can give you the appropriate discount code. Um, And I will say that, of course, listeners of Civil War Talk Radio um, do qualify for one of our discounts. So if you're listening right now and you think you might want to sign up, uh, please give us a call and, and we can make sure that you get the appropriate discount. Well, that that's an offer too good to refuse. Listeners, if, if you have never been to this, you really want to, to make it time to do it. Um, I wanted to pop in a quick word about the tour uh, visit to the Shriver House in town. The Shriver House Museum is part of the is on the agenda, the itinerary of the uh, this hallowed ground tour that I've participated in for a number of years, and I was very impressed when I first went there, not knowing what it would be, and uh, uh, Nancy Goodmanstead, who runs the place, has been on this show to talk about it, and as a result of being on the show, she said people have come who, who said they heard about it through Civil War Talk Radio, and I mentioned it to Pete, and he said he'd never been there, so I, I played matchmaker and got the two of them uh, communicating, and I, I know Nancy is thrilled to be participating in the the Civil War Institute, and I think the institute will be richer for having that uh, the communication with the people in town. Let me ask in general about relationships with the town of Gettysburg or with the the battlefield. Uh, is civ- how does Civil War Institute interact with those institutions? So the Civil War Institute has tried to um, expand uh, some of its already pretty solid partnerships with some of the various institutions in town. Um, we, a lot of our students um, in public history or Civil War classes um, have done site studies or visits to places like the Seminary Ridge Museum, uh, of course, to the National Park Service, the Visitor Center to do research in their archives and their library, um, as well as Um, I take students out there regularly in the CWI Fellows Program that I run uh, to do some research and some interpretive site visits out to the battlefield. Um, We certainly work with the Foundation as one of our partners. 
um, the Shriver House, of course, being one of our partners for the conference. So mm-hmm. we've tried to, to further solidify some of those partnerships um, with the um, you know historical institutions and the museums in town. Now, I, I was mentioned on Facebook in the uh, civil, the Battle of Gettysburg discussion group uh, a few weeks ago, and that crossed my screen, so I thought I better go see what that is. Uh, I'm, I don't normally participate in that group. And so I read a few screens worth of messages and discovered there was there are some personalities on that uh, that that page who are quite dominant. And some of them are seething with hatred toward the Civil War Institute, um, or at least one of them was, I should say. Uh, I, I'm guessing you may know who I'm talking about. Uh, why so? What 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 is the, what what is in the background of the institution that somebody might not be happy with? Um, honestly, I'm 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 not sure exactly who you are talking about, <laughs> uh, talking about. No, to be quite frank, better. maybe that's a good thing. That's a good um, thing. I'm I'm not entirely sure about that. Um, I know certainly there there may be amongst certain people in town um, kind of a skepticism about the kind of history that we do or present um, or talk about with our students. Um, we try to engage, you know, the most recent scholarship, which can sometimes upset people's mm-hmm. you know very personally held notions of the past. Um, and they think that, you know, they understand the Civil War and Civil War history to have occurred one way, and then a whole new wave of scholarship comes out, and we have a responsibility to engage that scholarship with our students and, of course, with our public programming, and I think sometimes that unsettles some people, and it makes them question, you know, what are our ambitions, what are our goals, what, are, what is our agenda um, in presenting kind of this new, quote, mm-hmm. revised version of history, um, so that may be part of it, um, if that's what you're you're speaking to. Um, it, it, I've certainly heard of such things before, um, but that would be my I, guess. No, I, you're you're definitely on on point. That's something everybody who does Civil War history, beyond rereading the classics uh, from the the fifties or sixties, will encounter that. And I, I apologize for giving you such an opaque question. Um, there were some references, and maybe it was just somebody having a bad day. Uh, uh, going back to an event which, since you identified it, I can say surely happened before you were born, uh, when the, the college was involved in the land uh, deal that ended with the destruction of part of the railroad cut. Uh, apparently there are some people uh, who still blame the college, which, you know, the college was certainly at fault, uh, but who blame the Civil War Institute for not stopping the college, which as a professor, I can say professors have no authority to do anything the administration <laughs> wants to do. Uh, and, and certainly you, you weren't responsible and Peter wasn't responsible. Uh, but the memories are long and they, 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 let me put it this way, they tend to lump together. Uh, some people outside lump together the college, the Civil War Institute, and the Civil War Era Studies Program. And here I, I'm asking another question to which I don't know the answer. Um, Gettysburg College has a Civil War era studies program and a noted Civil War scholar in Alan Gelzo. You also have the Civil War Institute and uh, P. Carmichael, who's written a number of books, who was just on this show with his latest book. Mm-hmm. It, how is the campus big enough for two different Civil War programs? <laughs> 
or well, is sometimes, it? Sometimes uh, I think that's a common question um, that we get from a lot of different people and sometimes mm-hmm. from prospective students and their families wondering, you know, what's the deal? Are these two pretty much overlapping or the same entities? You know, how do they differ? Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you're in Gettysburg, you can afford to have two, um, <laughs> two Civil War entities right on campus, um, an institute as well as the Civil War Era Studies Department. Um, I guess I would say the main difference between us, because we are, in fact, two, two separate entities, even though we both mm-hmm. operate you know, within the college. Um, we both work with students. Um, certainly Pete uh, teaches in the history department, teaches Civil War classes, um, and some of our student fellows who I work with at the Institute are Civil War Era Studies minors. So there is a lot of overlap. Um, but I guess I would say the main difference is that the Institute, while it works with students and focuses on students' academic and public history development and channeling that towards an ultimate career goal, we also work very much with public programming um, mm-hmm. in a way that the Civil War Era Studies Department um, you know, focuses mostly on students. So I would say that's the big difference. And certainly the public programming that we do, it's not only the summer conference, um, it's also the Robert Fortenbaugh Memorial Lecture that happens every November um, on Dedication Day, November 19th, um, as well as some other events that we have throughout the year. Uh, we also host the Brian C. Pohenka Internship Program for Gettysburg College students, which sends students out to a wide variety of National Park Service uh, Civil War-related sites across the East Coast every summer uh, to mm. do a paid internship um, so in that way, you know, we're kind of both academic, working with the students, but we're also outward-facing uh, with the community, not only in Gettysburg, um, but also with these other NPS sites um, along the East Coast. The, um, so I, I think of uh, Pete Carmichael is, is a friend I've known for, for a number of years, and I've also known Alan Gelzo, and I've been very friendly with him for uh, for even longer, actually. Uh so is is it's not a rivalry, or uh, do they get along? Uh, that I'm putting you on the spot because you're we're talking about your boss now. Um, uh, <laughs> but but uh, are there political issues between the two of them, or, or do the two institutions uh, find find each find their own niche? So I would say that we try to find common ground um, as much as we can. I think neither of us wants to step on the other's toes too much. Um, but we do try to find, you know, shared opportunities for students, you know, to do these internships, to take, you know, the latest classes on Civil War history, um, to take public history classes, um, which uh, Pete and also Jill Ogline Titus, our associate director, um, also teach within the history department. And a lot of CWES uh, students take those. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, the goal is, is common ground, um, recognizing that, we do have somewhat different focuses in terms of the public programming versus the completely student-focused work. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's an organic relationship. It's evolved a lot um, over the past, not even sure how many years the CWES minor has been around. Um, but, um, you know, we try to make it work as best as possible, especially for the student's sake. Mm-hmm. Now, one other personality, you mentioned Gabor Borat at the yeah. start of the show. Uh, he is legendary in the Lincoln and Civil War field. He lives yeah. in a Civil War uh, battlefield era house uh, on the battlefield. 
when when the transition happened, when he retired from directing the institute, he it had become very very much had his stamp on it, and uh, I know there was some some angst in the transition. People don't like change as a matter of human nature. Uh, my impression visiting last year was that that is largely in the past. That the, the dynamic and interesting programming that that you have now is is speaks for itself. And people may remember the old days, but uh, what you have going now is a great thing. Uh, does Gabor ever come around to uh, to chat with you, or uh, is he in any way still connected to the program? Yeah, so he does pop in um, from time to time. He has an office on campus um, that he works out of quite frequently. Um, so we do see him from time to time. He also usually attends the Fortin Ball Lecture every November. Um, mm-hmm. I think he has tried to attend at least part of the CWI Summer Conference um, as much as he can each year. Um, so, yeah, we, we do see him. And, you know, Gabor did such wonderful things um, mm-hmm. in helping this institute get to the point where it was when Pete took over, and I believe I, I thought it was six or seven years ago, but I think Pete has actually been there for maybe nine or even ten years uh, mm-hmm. at this point, which seems unfathomable to me that it's been <laughs> that long, um, but I, I think it, it has indeed been that long. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of the, the dynamics of the conference, it amazes me that we still have people attending our conference who attended the very first CWI summer conference. Uh, which is amazing that they, this has become part of their summer routine. They look forward to it every year. It's a reunion with friends. It's a learning opportunity. Um, and so, you know, they've kind of seen the entire journey as the Institute has developed. I do think that some individuals maybe um, preferred Gabor's way of doing things just because they preferred kind of the, the more traditional approach to history or maybe that wave of scholarship um, mm-hmm. that had come out. Um, that he was featuring uh, during his years as director of the Institute. Um, but I will say that, you know, under, under Pete's um, control of the Institute, we have gotten some pretty dynamic speakers, some new programming, um, different kinds of battlefield tours that, you know, maybe appeal to a different kind of person, maybe a wider range of people. Um, the new scholarship that has come out, um, particularly social and cultural history um, is of particular interest to new groups of individuals, uh, teachers, uh, women, some African-American participants as well, um, as well as some, some high school students. Now, those people had all attended under uh, Gabor's watch, um, mm-hmm. but I think that the, the nature of the programming these days, while it is very different, um, it tends to attract some of the same people, who attended under Gabor, but also people who kind of want a fresh look um, at Civil War history. What's the latest that has come out um, in all of these topics? And, uh, you know, what's the latest that public historians are doing, too, on the battlefields uh, and in museums? Because <clears throat> we try to feature them uh, as much as possible. Well, it, it is definitely a, a dynamic place to get a, a boot camp and what's happening in Civil War scholarship. We're going to take another short break, come back, talk more about, uh, I'd like to talk about your own uh, historical research and presentations, and we'll do that in just a minute when we return with our guest, Ashley Whitehead-Lusky, Assistant Director of the Civil War Institute at Gettysburg College. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. (laughs) 
Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited. Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu.edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Ashley Whitehead-Lusky. She is the Assistant Director of the Civil War Institute at Gettysburg College. We've been talking about the Institute, this wonderful program every summer in Gettysburg. You see parts of the battlefield, you see other battlefields, you hear from uh, current scholars uh, working on new kinds of cutting-edge research, but you also see some of the giants in the field who've been producing things for years, if not decades. Really a great opportunity. Uh, I urge everyone who has the opportunity who can make it happen, uh, find time to, to do this, and you will not be sorry. Uh, Ashley, you mentioned uh, public history as uh, something you included in the, the Civil War Institute. You've practiced as well as studied public history. Uh, you were a, you owned a consulting business at one time. How, how did that work? I did. So I opened um, my own consulting business after um, I left my job at the National Park Service uh, in Richmond, Virginia, a job that I held for four full years and then four seasonal summers um, before that. And I just so enjoyed um, doing historical interpretation, on-site tours, 
research, engagement with the public, um, you know, researching and reading the latest scholarship and being able to make that accessible to the public, that I really wanted to be able to continue doing that um, from the new location uh, that I moved to. My husband and I had been doing long distance for about four and a half years between Morgantown, West Virginia, and Richmond, Virginia. Um, And so I left my job in Richmond uh, to go uh, finally live together like a normal married couple. Um, And so that was the genesis um, of the consulting business. And um, what I did was try to use some of my contacts that I had made while I was a park ranger and also in grad school um, to try to reach out to people and see what kind of services they might need when it came to research, to writing blog articles, uh, writing articles for various Civil War magazines, giving tours. Um, Also, that's where I started actually my first official work with the Civil War Institute, uh, helping out with the conference um, remotely at first. And then, of course, that turned into a a full-time job. So it was a a mix of things uh, that I got to do, uh, but it all got its start you know, based upon those first contacts that I made um, while working full-time in Richmond. And and what about that as a career? You you were at the Richmond National Battlefield Park, <clears throat> so you, uh, uh, you you interacted with visitors, obviously. Uh, what else does, does a ranger do in that, those circumstances? Yes, yeah, so um, at Richmond it was really you had to wear a lot of different hats, which is the case for most park rangers, um, especially these days, unfortunately, as more and more jobs and more and more ranger lines are being cut. Um, but certainly staffing visitor centers um, was a big part of the job. We had five different visitor centers at the time that we were staffing, uh, especially during the summer season, uh, the tourist season. Um, so some of those visitor centers were out on battlefields like Cold Harbor, um, Malvern Hill, some of the other visitor centers were in downtown Richmond, uh, at the Tredegar Ironworks, and at the Chimborazo Medical Museum. So staffing those visitor centers, greeting visitors, doing uh, research on visitors' ancestors um, who fought on the different Richmond battlefields, people wanting to know, you know, what happened to them, where did they fight, uh, where are they buried. Um, but also a, a good part of my job was spent researching and leading uh, tours of the various battlefields and historic sites uh, in and around Richmond, which was by far uh, my most favorite part of the job. And I was fortunate enough to work in Richmond during the time of the Civil War sesquicentennial. Um, So I got to help out with the kind of behind-the-scenes planning aspects of a lot of those events, uh, the battle anniversaries, the different commemorations, the different educational programming that we are doing, um, and that was really probably the most memorable experience from my time in Richmond. Uh, it, it, it's never a dull moment in public history. No two days are the no, same. No, it's that, not. That, that, <laughs> uh, you also, uh, of, of course, in your own uh, you know, professional background, uh, wrote a dissertation to earn your doctorate. Uh, is there any thought of turning that into a, a book publication someday? There has been much thought. Um, Not as much action as I would have liked. Um, Certainly working full-time for the Park Service during graduate school and after um, I defended my dissertation, especially during the sesquicentennial years, um, that was a a full-time job and then some. 
where even, you know, nights and weekends were spent uh, working on programming and trying to do research and reading uh, and creating tours I didn't have time to do during the day. So unfortunately, I had to put the book manuscript on hold during that time period. Um, When I moved to West Virginia, um, a lot of my time was spent kind of cultivating this consulting business, um, but that was also uh, when our first child was born. So that also put kind of a wrench um, in the transition uh, from the dissertation into the book manuscript. And pretty much right after that, I got the full-time job at the Civil War Institute. So time to work on the manuscript has been few and far between. Um, I think Pete and I have talked about different ways that I might be able to squeeze in some more time uh, doing that uh, starting next year and in the years to come. Uh, but certainly it's, it's my very best hope uh, and desire to finally turn the manuscript into uh, a full-length book. I've met with some editors, I've talked to some editors about some different ideas, um, and I've started my revision process, but I just haven't quite had the, the time uh, to fully mm-hmm. focus on it uh, in the way that I wanted to. Uh, that is a, a common lament. Uh, give us the, the elevator speech version, the, the, uh, uh, the, the 30-second thumbnail of, of <laughs> what, uh, and, and I know that's impossible to compress a dissertation to that time, but the general topic. Sure. sure. So that's always, I think, one of the hardest parts of any research project is not actually writing the 250, 300 pages you have to write for a dissertation, but being able to summarize it uh, in 30 seconds. Um, but essentially, my, my dissertation in the book manuscript uh, looks at uh, elite Confederate women in Richmond uh, during the war, and specifically it looks at their social interactions, the different cultural rituals that they engaged in, holiday celebrations, charity events, Uh, something called the Starvation Party, which I delve into more in the manuscript, theater-going, that kind of thing. Uh, And it looks at how these social rituals were deeply invested with political power. So really it looks at how these leading ladies, as I call them, uh, the wives and daughters of Confederate generals, politicians, and businessmen, uh, were themselves very vital political actors uh, simply through what seems like everyday, ordinary social engagements, interactions that they have uh, with other members of society, whether that's, you know, the poor prostitutes who have moved into the city uh, trying to, you know, survive or make a living off of the war, uh, whether it's free or enslaved African Americans that they're interacting with uh, in their own households, uh, on the city streets, um, or any other group of individuals that they come across. Uh, looking at how they tried to project and kind of reaffirm their own social and political authority, uh, and in doing so, try to support the Confederate cause. It, it's uh, it, like so many topics that are out there that no one has really written about in detail. Uh, when you hear about it, you think, well, of course, you know, half the people <laughs> in the Confederacy are women. Uh, the yeah. elite uh, Confederate leaders all have wives, daughters, mothers. Sisters, uh, what are these people doing? And and uh, we know in our own lives how much our own spouses influence us, and we may influence them. So why not look at uh, the same thing in the Civil War? Uh, certainly a promising topic. The I can't resist asking this kind of question with just a, a minute or two left. Uh, in your experience at the Civil War Institute, what has been the the biggest? Uh, 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 
crisis, uh, the, the, the day you said, what are we going to do now uh, that you've had to face? That's a, that's a job oh, interview boy. kind of question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> During my time at the CWI, the biggest crisis? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, yes. Uh, any, any stories where you thought, how are we going to yeah. solve this one? Uh, because um, I'm sure well, you did. Well, I honestly, I, I have to say that one of the biggest personal crises, um, if it was also professional, occurred during last year's CWI conference. Um, in fact, I was giving a four-hour tour um, about civilians of Gettysburg and their experiences during and after the battle. And, of course, um, being one of the head coordinators of the conference, by the time we get to Tuesday, we're all running on fumes. Um, mm-hmm. I was pretty much out of sorts by that point anyway, uh, trying to get everybody on their buses, going to their various destinations, and uh, my tour was scheduled to start with the first 45 minutes or so being a, a classroom discussion of some primary sources that I had given the group in advance. And as I'm headed over to uh, start my discussion, I realized that my tour notes have grown legs and walked away. Uh-oh. And I had spent, of course, days uh, preparing mm-hmm. this tour. I had all of my stops lined up. I had all my talking points, my, my quotes that I was oh. planning to use, and I just could not find them anywhere. I've never found them to this day. Wow. Um, and so it was, a, it was a scramble that involved a lot of patience from the people on my tour, um, the tour bus driver who was very patient about having a late departure, uh, as well as my, my fellow uh, uh, staff member, Heather Miller, who is our administrative assistant, who raced into the office, broke into my computer, <laughs> and was able to download an older version of the tour that sufficed for the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, I had enough mental energy left in the tank that I could remember uh, most of what wasn't written down. But that was a true crisis, um, which I hope that I will never face again. When I lead my tour this year on Saturday <laughs> evening, I will be sure to duct tape my tour notes to my body <laughs> that morning and do an hourly check to make sure that they are still there. That's the kind of thing that happens once in a person's career, then you're never... <laughs> It never you never let again. it down. I, you never get over I, it. You don't. I, I've, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, yeah. it's just a fascinating event. The uh, the Civil War Institute and, and you and, and Pete Carmichael and everyone involved does a wonderful job each year. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to this year's event and uh, next year's as well. But going this year and, and seeing you and everybody else there and uh, listeners, hopefully a lot of you will be there. And we will get to talk Civil War for uh, day upon day, and it it will be a worthwhile experience. Uh, So, Ashley, I I appreciate you being on the show tonight. Uh, Keep your notes in one place, and I look forward to seeing you in June. (laughs) Thank you, Jerry. I appreciate it. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.